Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing? I am fine. I knew you didn't ask, but I'm telling you, all is well, because God is on his throne. And you say, come on, mother, haven't you been uh, awake in the world? Of course I have. But God is on his throne always, always, always. You know, I've heard from a number of people who want to um, listen to the talks or read the talks from the Rome Life Forum that happened uh, last week. Um, uh, live stream for the first time because of the virus and people couldn't travel. Um, and we have here been listening to the live stream talks and one is better than the other. They're, they couldn't be more perfect for our time. The theme was uh, Fatima and the coronavirus and what Our Lady said would, would come if we didn't repent, and we're not repenting uh, as a people, as a church, and so we're actually getting worse. And um, that's uh, evidenced by our response to this coronavirus, uh, the, particularly the response of our shepherds. And so um, I thought, uh, I have read, I think, at least one talk to you. Uh, I'd like to read the one on Bishop by um, His Excellency Bishop Athanasius Snyder from Kakistan, Auxiliary Bishop of Astana. Uh, he is um, He's right on. And if I say these things myself, uh, which I agree with him 100%, um, then, um, then I get in trouble. But if I'm simply going to read uh, Bishop Snyder's talk, which is better than anything I could say, uh, it it will come with some authority, uh, whether or not everyone agrees. But it's it's uh, sane, s a n e. Sanity is seeing things uh, truly as they are, um, and I think Bishop Snyder does. So I'm going to read that. I'm going to jump right into it because we we may not have enough time. Um, on today's program uh, for the first half hour to, to, to finish that. So I'm going to jump right in. And it's very hard for me to read something and not comment on the way, but I'll try. <laughs> I'll try. And it begins this. Bishop Snyder says, we are now again, this was just last week. We are witnessing a unique situation. It is for the first time in the history of the church that the public celebration of the Eucharistic sacrifice has been prohibited almost on a worldwide scale. Under the pretext of the COVID-19 epidemic, the inalienable right of Christians to the public celebration of the Holy Mass has been infringed disproportionately and unjustifiably. Now, maybe some of you, especially lay people, are going to be shocked at this. Uh, I hope the bishops aren't shocked. I hope that if they have um, uh, gone along with what is, um, let me just say, not of God, 
um, because they didn't know otherwise or better, or sometimes we put obedience before uh, what is right. And uh, because we think obedience is first, but it is with God, but not with man. And so we are to say, as Peter did, um, uh, we need to obey God and not man. You see, I said I'm not going to comment because if I do this, I'll never get through it. So sorry, I'll go back to this. Very hard for me not to talk. (laughs) Um, Okay, Bishop Snyder continues. In many countries, and especially in predominantly Catholic countries, this prohibition was enforced in such a systematic and brutal way that it seemed as though the ruthless historical persecutions of the church were brought back. An atmosphere of the catacombs was created, with priests celebrating Holy Mass in secrecy with a group of the faithful. The unbelievable fact was that in the midst of this worldwide ban of the public Holy Mass, many bishops, even before the government banned public worship, Bishops issued decrees by which they not only forbade the public celebration of Holy Mass, but of any other sacrament as well. By such anti-pastoral measures, those bishops deprived the sheep from the spiritual food and strength which only the sacraments can provide. Instead of good shepherds, these bishops converted into rigid public officials. Now, in case someone just tuned in, I'm reading the talk from Bishop Athanasius Snyder at the Rome Life Forum last week. Those bishops revealed themselves to be imbued with a naturalistic view to care only for the temporal and bodily life, forgetting their primary and irreplaceable task to care for the eternal and spiritual life. They forgot the warning of our Lord, quote, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? End quote from Matthew 16. Bishops who not only did not care, but directly prohibited their faithful access to the sacraments, especially to the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist and the sacrament of penance, behaved themselves um, as fake shepherds who seek their own advantage. And not just to, I I just say, not just the Eucharist and penance, but even even baptism, the sacrament uh, of life, of life with God. Those bishops, however, Bishop Snyder continues, provided access to the sacraments for themselves since they celebrated Holy Mass. They had their own confessor, they could receive the anointing of the sick. The following stirring words of God are doubtless applicable to those bishops who in this tribulation caused by the sanitary dictatorship denied their sheep the spiritual food of the sacraments while feeding themselves with the food of the sacraments. And this is from Ezekiel, quote, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds, Shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord, because my sheep have become a prey, 
and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand, and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. End quote from Ezekiel chapter 34. Bishop Snyder continues, In the time of the plague which had incomparably higher mortality rate uh, than the current epidemic of COVID-19, St. Charles Borromeo increased the number of the public celebrations, increased the number of the public celebrations of the Holy Mass. They did that in this COVID-19 pandemic also in Poland, so that there could be fewer people going more often. Um, Bishop Snyder continues, even though he closed the churches for a while, he at the same time ordered that there should be masses celebrated in many public and open places, such as squares, crossroads, street corners. He obliged the priests to visit the sick and the dying, to administer uh, them the sacraments of penance and of extreme unction, he ordered public processions to be held in which people walked in the dis- in, in due distance to make reparation for the sins and invoke divine mercy. St. Charles Borromeo did not forget the care for the body of the infected people, but at the same time, his primary concern was the spiritual help of the sacraments with which the sick had to be strengthened. There are many moving heroic examples from history where priests consciously accepted the mortal danger of administering the sacraments to people infected with lethal, contagious diseases. There is a touching witness from the Oxford movement in the Anglican Church in the 19th century about the value of the beauty of the liturgy and the zealous administration of the sacraments in the time of the dangerous and highly contagious cholera epidemic in England. The Catholic Church does not recognize these sacraments as valid, but the fact that these ministers placed such importance on pastoral care during an epidemic should be a witness to us now. Quote, and this is, let me just see where a bishop... um, uh, got this from um, it's session 22 um, Discretum uh, de observandis et vitandis I can't give that to you in English we'll continue right after the break beloved don't go away um, uh, this is so urgent this is so important I wish every bishop could read this and be free to live his ordination, to live his vocation as shepherd of souls, not of bodies physically, but more so of souls. Um, we'll be right back after the break. Beloved, our call, our toll-free number to call in, um, you'll be able to do that at the second break, is one 511 5483 or email at mother at com. We'll be right back. 
LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, Love in Truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the Internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. Join us here on the Station of the Cross for the Liturgy of the Hours at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern with the Office of Readings read at 3 o'clock. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus tells us, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The Liturgy of the Hours is also known as the Divine Office and is the daily prayer of the Church. So you know you'll be uniting your prayer with priests, religious, and laity throughout the world. It's comprised of small reflections, readings from sacred scripture, and writings from saints and theologians. To learn more about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. That's thestationofthecross.com. Pray with us each day at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome down. Welcome down. Listen to me. Welcome back, beloved. (laughs) I can't do two things at once. It's good to be with you. And we are in the middle of, uh, well, not quite the middle yet of um, Bishop Athanasius Snyder's talk at the Rome Life Forum uh, that he gave last week. Uh, The talks are excellent. We have been listening to them here. They're live streamed. Go to Rome Life Forum and you'll be able uh, to download the talks free, outstanding, uh, May 20th to 22nd, with um, speakers uh, that is put together by Voice of the Family and LifeSite News. You could not get better speakers, uh, more faithful, courageous shepherds of the church than they have. Cardinal Burke has been with them right from their inception and speaks every year. Bishop Athanasius Snyder and... Um, uh, the magnificent historian, Dr. Matei, and uh, Father Linus Clovis, um, uh, Dr. Paul Smeaton, I can't think, John Henry, of course, John Henry Weston, co-founder of LifeSite News, I can't think of them all, but um, it's just so fantastic. And uh, Bishop Snyder is, um, he is uh, fearless to speak the truth. Um uh his his uh his talks his writings 
are simply uh, straightforward, what I call sanity, and that is speaking reality, what is. Um, and so I, I, I appreciate being able to read this because I, I would say these things myself, but then I get in trouble. I don't mind getting in trouble. I don't mind. But it's uh, f- uh, from a bishop to other bishops is a lot better than from me to other bishops. So I'm going to read now uh, the account here that Bishop Snyder gave um, of the cholo- uh, cholera epidemic in England and how it was fought by the uh, Anglican Church. It's it's uh, from the Oxford movement. And while um, Bishop Snyder acknowledged that the Catholic Church does not recognize the sacraments uh, of the Anglican Church, yet um, these ministers uh, placed the right importance on the pastoral care during such an epidemic. Quote, the ritual innovations... Um, uh, hold on, of them, of they were accused, uh, there's something wrong here in how it was written out, let me try to get past it, the ritual innovations, um, if they were accused, or if they were, I'm not sure yet, were entirely rooted in the desperate pastoral needs they encountered. So it would be the ritual innovations of which they were accused. I think that's what it should be. Were entirely rooted in the desperate pastoral needs they encountered. Sisters of Mercy worked with the clergy of St. Peter's uh, Plymouth in the cholera epidemics of the late 1840s and petitioned the parish priest, Father George Rundle Preen, for a celebration of the Eucharist each morning to strengthen them for their work. I, I don't want to not comment here. I, if we can't finish this today, we'll finish it tomorrow. I read a book. I, I won't tell you the whole story. It would take too long, but I, it'll take us off track. But I read a book uh, on the Sisters of Mercy from Ireland who pretty much came to this country, America, and evangelized the country, set up hospitals, convents uh, all over the country against bishops, against, uh, during the Civil War, tied up soldiers on both sides. I read their story and I said, you know, um, at totally heroic what they've done our generation maybe the last two generations have no have no clue or little clue of what the sisters of mercy did i read it in a book that traced their history and traced how in the 60s and 70s they jettisoned their habits and got more into social work with dungarees and flannel shirts and uh, lady suits and and all of that Uh, it broke my heart uh, they have millions and millions of dollars of houses and properties all over the world now. And the average age is, age is I think, 68. And just, I've met them. I've met a number of them. And I tell you, I ache for them because we owe them for what they have done, for their heroism. We owe them big time. And they have been the reason for their own 
demise, so to speak, because they bought into modernism and uh, no habits and and uh, some of the uh, liberal theology and as a whole, as a whole. I've been in France with them in Ireland and this not United States. It, it it's heartbreaking, but um, I've been to their their founder uh, buried um, in Ireland. Uh, I've been to her tomb, and I tell you, um, I if I were twenty years old, I would want to enter their order and see if we could bring back the incredible, beautiful, holy, heroic work that they have done that hardly anyone is aware of except in a history lesson. Uh, I wish I could. I just wish I could do that. Okay, back to now uh, this story and what these heroic sisters have done, how they asked in the middle of that cholera epidemic, um, the parish priest for the celebration of the Eucharist every morning to strengthen them for their work. And so began the first daily Mass in the Church of England since the Reformation. And again, it was the first daily Mass, not valid sacraments, but in the Anglican Church. Um, similarly, the clergy of St. Saviour's in Leeds, Ireland, laid what medicines they had on the altar at each morning's communion before carrying them out to the many dozens of their parishioners who would die of cholera that very day. Can you imagine, beloved? Oh, my heart breaks. They didn't quarantine them. They weren't afraid to go there. They didn't let them die alone. They, didn't, they, they went and brought the medicine every day and bandaged them and prayed for them. Uh, the story goes on. These slum churches and their priests are far too many to mention, but their audacity and their piety are to be marveled at. The Church of England at this time looked upon ritual as a wicked aping of a papist church. Did you hear that? Because they broke off from the Catholic Church. The Church of England at this time looked upon ritual as a wicked aping of a papist church, that's what they call the the Catholic Church, the papist church. Vestments were horrific to most, and yet in places such as the Mission Church of St. George's in the East, thuribles were swung, genuflecting was encouraged, the sign of the cross was made frequently, devotion to the Blessed Sacrament was taken for granted, confessions were heard, Holy anointed was anointing was practiced. Beauty and holiness were to go into the midst of squalor and depression. As a witness to the Catholic faith in Jesus Christ, the incarnate God, present and active in the world, and perhaps most significantly, the sick and dying were to receive this sacrament presence, the sacramental presence as far as was possible. Deathbed confessions, the oil of unction, even occasionally, communion from the reserved sacrament became the priest's weapons against, for example, the appalling East London cholera epidemic of 1866, end quote. Oh, my heart. Bishop Snyder goes on to say St. Damien of Wooster 
is a luminous example of a priest and a shepherd of souls who, for the sake of providing the celebration of the Holy Mass and the other sacraments to the abandoned people who were suffering from leprosy at the Molokai Island, accepted voluntarily to administer to them the sacraments, living amongst them, and thereby to expose himself to the deadly disease. Visitors never forgot the sights and sounds of a Sunday Mass at St. Philomena's Chapel. Father Damien stood at the altar. His lepers gathered... Oh, listen to this. Father Damien stood at the altar. His lepers gathered around him on the altar. And I will, I will tell you that I think we could be confident they didn't limit it to ten lepers. His lepers gathered around him at the altar. They constantly coughed and expectorated. Expectorated. The odor was overpowering. Yet Father Damien never once wavered or shout or showed his disgust. His strength came from the Eucharist, as he himself wrote. This is from Father Damien now, quote, It is at the foot of the altar that we find the strength we need in our isolation, end quote. It is there that he found, Bishop Snyder writes, it is there that he found for himself and for those he served the support and encouragement, the consolation and the hope that made him the happiest, in his words, Father Damien's words, the happiest missionary in the world. As he called himself, Mahatma Gandhi, for example, had said that the world has few heroes comparable to Father Damien of Molokai. Belgium, the native country of St. Damien, has proclaimed him as the greatest man in its history. Bishop Snyder, Athanasius Snyder, continues, Our time is marked by an unprecedented and widespread liturgical and Eucharistic crisis due to the practical negligence of the truth that the Eucharist, the Holy Communion, is the treasure of the altar and of ineffable majesty. Therefore, the following admonitions of the Council of Trent remain relevant today more than ever. Oh my, I I hardly know if we have time uh, to begin this. Hold on, just let me see. Um, I'll read just the first paragraph. I think we're coming up against our second break. This is from the Council of Trent, which remains just as true and relevant today. Quote, No other action taken by faithful Christians is so holy and so divine as this tremendous mystery in which each day that life-giving host by which we were reconciled with God the Father is sacrificed by priests to God on the altar. And it is equally clear that you must use every effort and diligence for it to be celebrated with the greatest purity and inner transparency and outer attitude of devotion and piety. Excuse me. Excuse me, beloved. There's the music for our second break. We will go to your calls and emails when we come back and we'll finish this most excellent and uh, accurate talk tomorrow. 
Don't go away. We'll be right back. We stand at a crossroads in history. We can stand up for life, family, and a Christian culture, or we can stand idly by while the fabric of society becomes fundamentally anti-life, anti-family, and anti-Christian, slowly leading to its own demise. LifeSite News is the leading defender of life, family, and Christian culture. Through our news reporting, we seek to educate readers with information and zeal. They need to fight the most crucial battles of our day. And we need your help to continue that mission. You can support LifeSite News by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Another way to support LifeSite is to prayerfully consider becoming a Sustain Life monthly donor to help us continue to save lives in the culture. To donate, visit give.lifesitenews.com forward slash sustain life. Our staff of over 40 and millions of future generations Thank you for helping to save the culture. Put your pro-life convictions into action and stand out for life every Saturday morning, wherever you may be. We'll be broadcasting live 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern, hosted by myself, Jim Havens, and Father Stephen Imbarato as we stand out live on location. But this is more than a broadcast. It's a call to action. Grab a pro-life sign and publicly take a stand outside of a local abortion center or any high-traffic area like an exit ramp, overpass, or street corner. And as you do, listen to the Stand Out for Life broadcast. If you're in the Eastern Time Zone, stand out from 9 to 10 a.m. and listen live. But if you're in a different time zone, the broadcast is easily available to you via podcast shortly after it airs on the iCatholic Radio app. So you can stand out and listen anytime that is most convenient for you. The main thing is that we all take at least an hour to stand out for life in public witness every Saturday, even if it's just sitting on the front porch holding a pro-life sign. Whatever you can do, we all must take a part in public witness for the end of abortion. God bless you. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am she, and I am thrilled to be with you, and we now have a whole half hour to ourselves. You are welcome to call in with anything on your heart. I always say it, the, the heart of the matter is the matter of your heart. It does not have to relate to our conversation. Um, and uh, the toll-free number, uh, once again, is one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or you may email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We have an email from Mark who writes, Hi, Mother. What is your opinion of this quote? Quote, The faithful has the right as well as the duty to receive the sacraments. Pastors, therefore, have the sacred duty even at the risk of their health and life itself, when required to comply with this right of the faithful, end quote. Um, well, um, I agree with it 100%, of course, and it's it's a quote by uh, one of our shepherds uh, uh, that has written that. Um, uh, all the, the top uh, shepherds of the church, Cardinal Seurat, Cardinal Mueller, Bishop Snyder, Cardinal Burke, uh, Cardinal Brandmuller, all of them have said such, and uh, and and uh, 
everyone agrees. Uh, it's the law of the church. Um, Mark says, also, I, contact, I contacted the local sheriff in Monroe County, New York. There is no law against attending church services, and he will not arrest anyone for attending Mark. It, Mark, it's what Bishop Snyder said. Even before the law shut down the churches, uh, the bishops did. It's, it's, it's unheard of. It's unprecedented in the history of the church. It's the time the sacraments are needed most, and, um, and the, the church is acting like, like the, um, uh, like the civil secular government. It, it's, it's, it's just, uh, it, to me, it's, it's, it's unthinkable, but it's happening. You're very right, Mark. You're very right. Uh, the churches should be open. Um, the, the mass should be held. Um, the Eucharist should be honored, not given with plastic gloves or any kind of gloves. It's a complete sacri- sacrilege. Uh, Cardinal Seurat, head of the uh, discipline of the sacraments, and, uh, said it's a total sacrilege. Um, people are taking communion from the from trays. Uh, a friend of mine called the other day and said the priest holds up the Eucharist. The people come with a mask. They take it from his hand and they step aside, take their mask off and receive the Eucharist. It's a terrible thing. This whole thing, forbidding Eucharist on the tongue, the whole thing is an abomination. It has nothing to do with the church serving God or serving people. Absolutely not. Uh, the church exists. Um, to get people to heaven and uh, the focus on our health right now to the um, elimination of our spiritual health where communion is denied, where penance is denied, uh, reconciliation, baptism, um, it's... it's, um, it, it's a story that we you think we'd be reading about not living through. We have an email from Marissa. Marissa writes, Good morning, Mother. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I was among those, I was among those who have been scandalized, bullied by a Catholic organization, um, be it a school and youth group, when I was a teen. It seems as if these schools or youth groups become so full of themselves that they don't live or teach the gospel in the way uh, we should. Um, And she goes on to say, I've been married to my husband, Ethan, for eight years, and he, too, had been scandalized by such Catholic organizations aimed at youth. I'm so sorry to hear this. My goodness. Um... I don't know what those Catholic organizations were, but you should not have been a part of them for sure. Uh, Marissa says, we have two daughters, ages six and four, respectively, six or eight years from now. We would like them to have more interaction with children their age who share their faith. However, we feel we must shield them from the best youth groups. We feel we must... Um, since we are afraid, they too will be scandalized. Well, um, and she goes on to say, what is the best way for our children to interact with children their age, especially when they get older? What can we say to them if their peers down the road suggest a specific Catholic group? We truly want to do what's best for our children, 
but we also don't want them to develop habits uh, that isolate them from people. Thank you for your advice in advance, Mother, and God bless you. Well, it seems, Marissa, that parents just let their children be. Let them join different groups, like they go to different movies and and have no idea uh, what those groups are about. Their morals, it's just that they say they're Catholic. Uh, some Catholic groups can be worse. Excuse me. Pardon me. Can be worse that worse sometimes than secular groups. Um, I would I would I would uh, have your children. I would find a good Latin parish, and I would have your children raised in that parish with morals and disciplines that you may not get elsewhere. Um, if you continue to go to a Novus Ordo church. You need to know the behavior. If the children are dressed immodestly, you don't want to send your children there. If they use language and other things that is inappropriate, you don't want to send your children there. You need to know. You need to become a volunteer. You need to go with your children or prior to their going and check out a group. Excuse me, I'm so sorry. I'm healthy. I think I'm just getting a little cold. Um, you, you need to know, do not send your children to any group unless you know what the group's about and their morals. And you must know their leader. You must know who is leading them, what they're reading, what their activities are, uh, what they're allowed to do. And again, if they're, modest, if they're not modestly dressed, you're going to find many, many things wrong in that youth group. Um, And if you cannot find a Catholic youth group, I would beg you to not send them to a Protestant youth group because in addition to your children not having that sort of connection, they will, you will, uh, you will be the catalyst for their leaving their Catholic faith. So no Protestant group, but um, uh, if you cannot find a good Catholic group, parents start one. Start inviting Catholic children to your home and start a group. Let them come over once a week, once a month, and begin to teach them the faith and have a good little pizza and and some fun or watch good films. Okay. We have a call, Laura, from Poconos, Pennsylvania. Hi, Laura. Hi. Hi, sweetie. Thanks for calling in. Uh, Oh, you're welcome, and thank you so much for all that you do. Um, I have a question. Um, I love Jesus, and um, I always try to put him first in my life. And now that the churches are reopening in some areas, um, I have some concerns because I live uh, with an elder parent and uh, an immunocompromised family member, and there are some concerns about my, and even them, going to Mass uh, and receiving the Eucharist uh, and being exposed potentially to the virus. So I'm kind of torn as to um, putting people at risk uh, if I do go to the Mass, because I've been watching some of the Masses online, and it doesn't look like people are six feet apart. They're not always wearing a mask, and I know that we're supposed to receive it in the tongue, but I don't know how much more that puts people at risk. And so I guess I'm concerned in trying to discern what is the right thing to do. Do I go to Mass Mm -hmm. and put Jesus first, or is that selfish because I'm putting the people in my home at risk? It's not selfish. See, Laura, what we've lost is the right honor for God. 
you never selfish to receive God. You honor him. It means when you go to Mass, you're not putting yourself first. You're putting God first. We've lost... We've, we so take God for granted, Laura, and I'm not speaking to you personally, but kind of opening this up in general. We have so taken God for granted. Can you imagine if, if God uh, came, uh, appeared as an apparition? apparition? Um, he does appear all the time, but as, as man, um, and you said, no, it's going to be selfish for me to go see him. My goodness. Um, we're putting, uh, we are putting ourselves before God. He wants to give himself to us. He wants us to receive him. And what you've just said, and your concern is charitable, Laura. It's good. But it's what's wrong with this whole pandemic. Bishops have done the same thing. Keep the people away so they don't get sick. In many uh, dioceses that are opening, they are forbidding the elderly to come. They have no right to forbid anybody to come. They have no right. Certainly the elderly can make a choice if they are more vulnerable to not come. That's a choice. But to be forbidden to come is a sacrilege. You, 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 you have, no one has that right to forbid them. This is what God is giving us. Um, So, Laura, I understand your concern, but I say in your circumstance to go. I would say to go and receive our Lord. To receive him on the tongue is is, uh, safer than to receive him in your hand. That's been proven. To receive our Lord on the tongue is safer than to receive him in your hand. If a priest knows how to properly distribute communion on the tongue. He does never, he never needs to touch your mouth or your tongue. Never needs to do that. There's no problem. He should never wear gloves. Um, and he can go wash his hands immediately following communion or following the mass. So no, uh, Laura, uh, I would go if you, if you're concerned about, um, uh, the elderly parent that you live with, uh, you can have your your you can wear a mask when you come home so that you don't give it to him or her. But I would not keep from the sacrament. I would not. And um, I, if unless you're the elderly parent were really disabled and extremely weak, uh, simply because he or she is elderly, I would want to encourage them to go. There's nothing more the elderly need. There's nothing more than we that we need than our Lord through the sacrament. There's no greater priority. It would have to be a really and and you and the parent you live with should almost force you to go um, and not worry about their own cost in a sense. You see, that's why I was reading through Bishop Snyder's paper. There was a time that it would be unthinkable for people not to go. Unthinkable. For lepers not to go, they'll say if we, but if we go, we're going to infect Father Damien. And Father Damien would say, but if they come, I'll be infected. Nothing stopped people from the Eucharist because they knew that there was no fear in dying because eternal life is our home. You see, and and so now we're afraid. We've lost all that. 
we've lost the faith. Not during the pandemic. The pandemic is showing us how we've lost the faith. Are you there, dear one? I'm here. And yeah, I know, so that, and those are my I, thoughts. I what you're, yes, yeah. and I understand what you're saying, and I'm sure I'll get some backlash for it. Thank you, though, Mother. Well, you know, um, do what is peaceful to your heart. Do, don't live with guilt. Do what is people, peaceful for your heart and put God before your elderly parent. As, as, and God would always have you put your parent first. What I mean is go to God and say, Lord, I'm really conflicted here. I want to do what is charitable. Would you help my heart be at peace? Do what your heart and your conscience are at peace with, Laura. That would be the answer. Thank you, Mother. Thank you so okay, much. God bless you. You too, sweetie. All right, we're coming up against our last break, beloved, and we'll come back and have just a short time um, before the end of the program. So it's a good 10 minutes. You're still welcome to call in. We'll be right back. The future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the Internet with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year. But we need your help to reach more of the 7.7 billion people on earth if we are to truly succeed in changing the culture. Please consider donating to help our mission of promoting the culture of life and fearless defenders of the faith like Mother Miriam. Visit give.lifesite.news.com to give today. Thank you for your support. Join us here on the Station of the Cross for the Liturgy of the Hours at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern with the Office of Readings read at 3 o'clock. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus tells us, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The Liturgy of the Hours is also known as the Divine Office and is the daily prayer of the Church. So you know you'll be uniting your prayer with priests, religious, and laity throughout the world. It's comprised of small reflections, readings from sacred scripture, and writings from saints and theologians. To learn more about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. That's thestationofthecross.com. Pray with us each day at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Heart to Heart with Mother Miriam. Um, we are here for another 10 minutes. I'm thrilled to take your calls, your emails, um, your questions, your text. So one last time, I'll give you the number. Our lines are wide open. one eight seven seven. 
5115483. And we're going to go to an email from someone who's writing in anonymously and says, Hi, Mother. I don't always get to listen to your program. I will watch it when I have time. My question is, do you believe it is wrong to take chemotherapy since you are putting poison in your body? I stopped mine a year and a half ago because I believe the Lord wanted me to do this, and he told me it wasn't good for my body, and he wanted to heal me. I just had another surgery in October. Do you believe he could provide healing through surgeries? Thank you, Mother Miriam. Of course he provides healing through surgery. God heals us in many ways. He can do it um, supernaturally without any medical intervention, or he can heal us through the process of surgery and medicine. This is all a gift from God, absolutely. How God told you, uh, let you know that he wanted you to stop chemotherapy, that it wasn't good for your body, and that he wanted to heal you, is very unusual. How he told you that, I don't know. But if he told you that, you want to obey him. That's the end of the story. Um, but of course he could heal through surgeries. The thing is, um, uh, many cures are... Chemotherapy is not good. It, how could it be good for the body? It's not good because it kills what's wrong. It can also kill what's right alongside of it. But the, the thing is, the cure needs to be better than the, than the medicine. And so um, if you need to, you know, Jesus, on a spiritual level, Jesus said, if your eye bothers you, uh, cut it out. If your if your hand, if you're tempted um, by what you see, cut out your eyes. If you're tempted by you know what you uh, want or have, cut out your arm. He doesn't want us to go through life maim. What he's saying is that deal drastically with sin, and so it's better for you to be without certain things than for your whole body to enter into hell. That kind of thing spiritually. So physically, um, sometimes if if a a leg is uh, gangrene, they have to cut it off in order to save the man's life or the woman's life. So I don't have anything against chemotherapy. Um, There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing sinful about it. There are many, many health roots, healthy roots of food that I would always recommend before chemotherapy. There, uh, I went to a nutritionist once that healed many people with cancer. He actually saved my life. I didn't have cancer. I had another issue. Um, and that's just through a right diet. So that's also good. But um, uh, chemotherapy, is uh, there's nothing sinful about it. And um, you, could, you could certainly take it. So it's, that's up to you. Um, but God could heal through surgery as well. Uh, you might need, again, something following the surgery so the sickness doesn't come back and spread. And again, that could be a wholesome diet. Um, there's other ways to do that. So um, uh, that's the, the best I could say. Um, let me see. Um, Okay, so yes, God can heal any way he wants, dear one. We have a text from someone who writes in anonymously and says, what version of the Liturgy of the Hours do you use? We use, because we're Benedictine, we use the Benedictine Monastic Diurnal. It's one book, uh, not four volumes, not three volumes as the Roman is, but it's one. And um, the the office is a little longer than 
the four-volume Liturgy of the Hours, um, but it's one, and so uh, it, it repeats, every, it's a week cycle, um, and so every Monday is the same song, every Tuesday the same songs, um, and, and then uh, for Holy Days and such, there are other psalms and antiphons, and it's a very beautiful diurnal, but uh, you don't have to be Benedictine uh, to use it, of course. Um, The Benedictine diurnal, our source on that, um, uh, well, you can go to any, you can go to Clear Creek Monastery and get it. Um, uh, Ours is Farnborough, I think it's F-A-R-N-B-O-R-O-U-G-H, I think they're in England. Um, and um, you can get it and use it. And by the way, as long as I'm mentioning this, um, the newsletter that I've been pu- promising since before Easter, uh, we didn't get an Easter newsletter out. And those have been calling, wanting copies of it. We never got that out. And uh, I wanted a, even a Paschal Tide one. We're still in Paschal Tide until the Saturday after Pentecost, Pentecost, but I never got that. So. I just focused on the homeschooling, and it's done. But um, it's going to our printer uh, the end of this week, which is tomorrow. And then we have a few other very wonderful things that we're inserting. It's going to be a very fat envelope uh, that we're sending out because it's been since Christmas that we sent out a newsletter. And we have printed some very beautiful holy cards with the, the prayer of spiritual communion on them. So um, that's all going out in our next newsletter, including um, Mary's Oblates, those of you who have signed up to become a uh, Benedictine Oblate of the Daughters of Mary, us, uh, Mother of Israel's Hope, just for short, Mary's Oblates. Um, you've gotten our first three letters, and you've been missing uh, another letter. So we have one coming out that's three letters in one. Numbers four, five, six in one fat Mary's Oblate newsletter. And it's going to be, um, it's going to contain, um, uh, what do I want to say, um, our, the, the statutes somewhat of the constitutions, what it takes to be an Oblate, a uh, Benedictine oblate, uh, and and one of our community, what's required, on what levels, at what pace, and all of that. It's going to be very, very thorough and very helpful. So uh, we'll have that, and for anyone that wants to come on board, it's never too late. We'll have a, a an application in there. We'll have an order form for the Benedictine commentary for oblates. Uh, oh, ton. It's going to be huge. And so uh, we never charge for this. Um, we just uh, accept um, donations as God leads anyone uh, to support us, but we want you to support Station of the Cross and LifeSite News also. Um, uh, and so um, if you're not on our mailing list and you would like it, either email or regular mail or both, if you get them in email, you won't receive the spiritual holy cards and other inserts we often include because we can't send those by email, but anyone who receives email only can always call us and ask for a product, and we'll just put it in the mail to you. We never charge. And so I shouldn't say never. There are some books we get a discount on, and we must charge you, but um, at a discount. Um, so our website is www.motherofisraelshope.org 
org. Israels is I-S-R-A-E-L-S, Mother of Israel's Hope dot org. Just click on newsletter tab over to the right and you will see a place to sign up. And you have time because we're getting these everything to the printer between yesterday and next week. And so it has to be printed before it's put in the mail. You've got a good week to sign up. So don't worry. Um, but I, I would go ahead and do it so we get you on the list if you wish. Okay. Um, God bless you. And whoever asked for the Liturgy of the Hours, uh, again, it's the Benedictine Monastic Diurnal. We don't sell them, it's we use them. Um, but if you don't use that, I would take a look. Rather than the four-volume Liturgy of the Hours, take a look at the Roman Breviary. That's what we would use if we didn't use the monastic diurnal. God bless you all, and we'll speak with you tomorrow. God bless you.